Hey, this is Kate. Welcome to Two Pastors Take a Walk and Make a Podcast. This is Yolando, and as always, we're talking about what we're preaching, what we're thinking about, and what is astonishing us. So what's astonishing you this week before? (laughs) I'm I'm astonished by... Psalm 126, oddly enough, and that's because... Okay, Bible nerd. No, there's there's a reason for that. Um, You know, this past weekend was super busy, had a Christmas event on Saturday. Our four-year-old Matthew turned five, spent a day at Chuck E. Cheese, preached on Sunday. Uh, Monday morning, or Monday afternoon, driving in to church... um, knowing that I had an elders meeting that yeah. night, just super exhausted, tired, and I couldn't get out of that place of mm-hmm. fatigue. But I also knew that I had to prepare this devotional for the elders meeting. Mm-hmm. And I've been working with a theme for the past few months of joy. <laughs> and I didn't have it. Yeah. And um, to paint the picture, I'm driving into church um and I look at my gas tank or the, the little gauge in my car, literally, I hit zero. <laughs> so my car's tank is empty. My own spiritual emotional tank is empty. And I just, I just couldn't get out of that funk. And um, I was trying to prepare a devotional, and I just had nothing. Mm-hmm. And I was about to just say, hey, I'm just going to go to the elders and say, I, I, I just don't have it tonight. And then I came across Psalm 126, and holy cow, it's like <laughs> this like turnaround. Okay, so he, Psalm 126, the Israelites are in a not-so-great place, and um, they uh, the, the psalm begins, When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Mm-hmm. Our mouths were filled with laughter. Our tongues were filled with joy. So what what's happening is that in a dry place, they are remembering what God did in the past, mm-hmm. and it's bringing them joy. And so I asked the elders, you know, how are we to cultivate joy when we're just in a dry, hard place? Mm-hmm. And one way to do that is to remember what God has done in the past, both in our own lives and in Scripture, right? Because mm-hmm. when we read Scripture, that's that's mm-hmm. us, right? Mm-hmm. God rescued us from Egypt, brought us right. through the Red Sea, right? Right, right. Um, and then if you keep reading the psalm, uh, the psalmist says um, in verse 3, Restore our fortunes, Lord, like streams in the Negev. So even though they are in this hard place, they have made a decision to seek God. Right? This is a song of ascent. And so they're going up to Jerusalem to worship. They're going to seek God's presence. And of course, there's that scripture, in God's presence, there's fullness of joy. So I said to the elders at that point, not only should we uh, remember the past, what God has done, but in the present, when you are in this hard place and you lack joy and your tank is empty, seek God, right? And then the, the psalm ends with, those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. So you've got remember the past, seek God in the present. And then the psalm seems to say, just take the long view of the future, mm-hmm. right? So even if it's not going well and you have to sow in tears, take the long view, keep taking steps of faithfulness because eventually you will reap in joy. And so you're not only telling us a great devotion, which is good, <laughs> yeah. but you're telling me that literally reading that psalm 
hearing that truth had a transformative effect. Like in, in the moment. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. it was a sudden wow. And I hope that when you shared that with your elders, you not only shared with them the scripture, but shared like what praying that psalm had done for you, like yes. where you had been and yes. where it brought you. Yeah, no, I think that's really. And there were others around the table yeah. who were like, holy cow, I needed that. Well, and I think that what connects, that connects me in two ways. And one is it's just like our negativity bias, which is part of our like evolutionary survival skills, right? Like the things that stay with us are the negative things, right? Which helps when tigers are around, right? right like you need right, to be constantly right. aware. But it's hard to stand in joy, to walk in contentment, that if you don't perpetually do the work of recalling the goodness of God, you are you're not gonna be living in it, right? I mean that, that just won't that's just the way we are are wired biologically is to remember what is threat, mm-hmm, what is mm-hmm, danger. And mm-hmm. so we need to be conscious about recalling and it and you know we were talking earlier about plans for watch night and mm. connects to that for me as well this idea that we're going to do judges they're not yeah judges to focus on verse 10 which is you know and a new generation came up who did not remember what yeah. the lord has done and the reality is like if we don't remember it then we can't be fed by it. We can't turn to the Lord in sorrow. We can't trust God to fill our hearts with laughter because we don't remember what God has already done. But when we remember what God has already done, not just in scripture, but in our own particular lives, then that gives us a reason Mm -hmm. to trust God in our present and in our future. And so you know, we're going to talk a lot about like, we have these stories and it's important that we know the stories of our spiritual ancestors. And it's important that we collect and testify to the stories in our own lives. Otherwise, we won't be able to walk in the goodness of God because we just keep choosing to forget all the time. Yeah. And what astonished me was the suddenness of the work of the Spirit. Right. That, That being filled with joy is not like a manufactured, fake like, oh gosh, I have to be happy. I'm an ungrateful right. jerk, but right. you know, I'm going to try harder. It is God saying, do this because it actually works. Yes. Right. And I'm not naturally um, oriented around what's practical. <laughs> <laughs> I'm naturally orient- I oriented. I thought you were going to say, I'm not naturally joyful, but wait, no, that's me. No, <laughs> so no. That's right. I'm oriented around the theoretical, right? right. I love theory. I love right. theology. And so just doing this. And having this experience, I was like, oh, yes, this works. Right. And I think it's just important to note that, like, it works particularly in the situation that you were in, which is like no tragic thing had just happened in right. your life. Right. right. So I'm just I mean, tired. Right. And I, and I think that's real and it matters and we have this tool to use. But I also think sometimes people who are going through tragedies then add an extra burden of guilt. I'm like, yeah. why am I not joyful mm-hmm. when my mm-hmm. loved one has just died mm-hmm. or when I, I mean, mm-hmm. it's not... It is for that, but yeah. I mean, it is particularly for these times when we're just tired and we've just, we've just lost our story yeah, and lost yeah. the thread. And so that, that is really cool. That's well, really what's cool. astonishing you? Um, I, on our way over here, I happened to be behind a BMW <laughs> and the license plate on the BMW, we were stopped so I could read it and had a little like license plate holder, which literally said the most toys wins, right? Wow. So that's not what astonishes me, but it's the context for what astonishes me. Um, every time we get near a season like this, people in my community will find me 
and um, and hand me gifts, generous mm. gifts, not f- for others in the community. Like they'll say, could you give this gift card to so-and-so? Could mm. you do like, could, and so this, just this practice of like secretly meeting the needs of other people in the community. And it doesn't only happen around the holidays. I mean, it also happens at other times, but I just, mm. I mean, I, it just really matters, you know? Yeah, and I yeah. feel like lately, um, especially in a lot of sort of mainline denomination, like we're very captivated by this idea of toxic charity and that's mm, wrong mm-hmm, and we need to address mm-hmm. the systems. And I just, I just want to know one, often it's white people having these conversations from a place of privilege and, and contentment. And that's just worth knowing. Like I do want to overturn the systems, but I also am just realizing that when I'm astonished that in a world that sells Profits by, I mean, a business is profitable by selling a license plate holder that says the most toys win, yeah, right? Yeah. And that we have these communities where people hear the gospel and say, I am going to find a way to be a blessing to my brother and se- or sister in secret. I don't mm-hmm. want any credit for mm-hmm. this. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and what it is, I mean, you can call that toxic charity or you can call it um, justice mm-hmm. or you can call it faithfulness to the text of mm-hmm. just saying, like, I can't sit in peace in this season when I know that my brother or sister has this financial burden and I know that I can lift it. Right. And then just, um, it's this place of deep awe to be the conduit of that. And I'm always very clear to be like, I didn't do this. (laughs) Like I didn't do this. And honestly, you need to know that the person who gave this to me didn't do it either, that it's Mm. the Lord, you know, moving anyway. So I just, I'm always, I mean, I hope that I will always choose to be astonished by that, mm. that there are just people who, who live that out in a time when nobody ever feels like they have enough of anything. And yet, right. you know, the, these seeds are being planted that people are truly discovering that, that it really is, um, you know, the greatest joy that mm. they can selfishly give for themselves is, is to meet a need for someone or a stranger. And so I just like it, it is, you know, I'm I'm a Scrooge, and I love the birth of Jesus, and I have a hard time loving Christmas. But but this is a moment that I just really um, I am astonished, yeah. and I I would love um, to see more and more of it. But and we see a lot, and mm-hmm. our community is not particularly a wealthy community, and so it's just a really beautiful thing, and it it gives me joy and astonishment. So and that sounds like I'm surprised that my people are practicing goodness. And I'm not surprised. I just don't ever want to take it for granted. Right. I mean, it's just this beautiful, holy thing. Yeah. The way I was hearing that was you are astonished by the generosity of your people, not because you don't expect it, but because it's always lovely and moving to see. Well, and I just, it's always worth seeing the God in that and worshiping it and just seeing God take our hearts and make what is unnatural to us desirable to us. And that's just beautiful and um, encouraging. Yeah, it's almost like a teacher that delights um, in their students when they learn new things. As pastors, we delight um, seeing the folks we minister to and with do God stuff or being being led by the right. Spirit. And especially it, when we have nothing to do that's with right, it, right? That's right. Like, especially in those moments when it's not about a program yes. or a ministry yes. or any of that. And all that stuff is good, but it really only exists so that people will go and do all this stuff on their own. Because that astonishes me. And then the other thing I love, and I see it a lot, but you do in this season particularly, I just love seeing friendships and mm. relationships and connections yeah. form within yeah. the community that, you know, it's only because 
because of Jesus, right? Like it's only, these people are only connected because they were drawn by Jesus to this particular community. And then they just fall in love with each other and they, you know, they recognize just the good. Anyway, so it's just a really, I'm, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And I guess it, yeah, it makes me so, it gives me so much encouragement and joy because it, you know, it doesn't have anything to do with the things we work so hard at, right? right? Like they're not, it's not a direct application of that. So yeah. it's just a proof that the Holy Spirit is moving in the congregation and a manifestation of that. Absolutely. Good so stuff. what are you thinking about? I'm thinking about, well, in relation to Psalm 126, the amazing work of the word. Um, I'm just thinking about my preaching ministry and sometimes like we were just talking, I don't know if this is doing anything, mm-hmm. if this is having any effect, um, I'm up here every Sunday. And then I have an experience like yesterday with Psalm 126, and I realize, oh, yeah, there is just great spiritual power in the Word that is beyond me. And just, and, and, and because I am an expository pre- preacher, I just. We start with verse one and go to verse whatever. <laughs> yes, you do. And we just walk through the text. And that's all I do. It's very plain. Um, and so sometimes you wonder, and an experience like yesterday made me realize, oh, yes, God works through the word. Yeah, you know, it reminds me of um, Garrison Keeler, who I will always have a soft spot in my heart for because my dad used to drive us every Saturday night to get McDonald's Happy Meals. Like, that was our treat. My sisters and I, like, he and my mom would have some, you know, big fancy dinner later on. But we would get a McDonald's Happy Meal on Saturday night, and my dad would drive us to get it, which he did not normally do that kind of direct parenting stuff. And it was always a Prairie Home Companion would be on while we were doing that. So, anyway. and But Garrison Keillor, um, I read that he has said, talks about, like, why most preachers are terrible. Why are most sermons terrible? Mm, and he says, mm-hmm. because you have this amazing material, yeah. right? Like you have the living word, you have these incredible stories and you like read them and then you shove them aside right. and talk about like, I read this article, the New York <laughs> times, or I got this email, <laughs> whatever. I mean, you yeah, just yeah. act like you need to make up something interesting to yeah. fill the space mm-hmm. instead of letting this living word be, be yeah. right. Like just yeah. let it be yeah. because the reality is if this is true, then it's everything. And if it's not true, then who cares? So like, let's just put it front and center and put the promises front and center and then let the Lord be the Lord and us be the mess, you know, messengers or those who are pointing and yeah. And that we, we really don't have anything to say apart from the text, the text. Well, we say Jesus is the word. So if Jesus is the word, then in a very literal sense, this word gives, gives people Jesus and Jesus is not only the word, but yes, yes. no, no, that's good stuff. And you? Um, so I have been forcing myself to listen to some leadership podcasts Woo-hoo. lately because, whatever, I have a complicated relationship with the whole field of leadership. But I recognize that this is the role I've been called to. And it's always a matter of discipline because, um, you know, you listen to leadership podcasts and if you take them seriously and you're listening to really good people, then it's usually kind of discouraging, right? Because you're learning like, oh, 
this is what's necessary. I'm, I'm not, not doing, doing that. It. <laughs> like, oh no. Anyway, and so I've been a friend particularly recommended the Andy Stanley um, Leadership Podcast. So I've been forcing myself to listen, and they, I mean they're enjoyable to listen to. They're mm-hmm. just kind of like a gut punch every right, time, right? right. Like, oh, how mm-hmm. am I still? Yes. But anyway, he, um, the one I was listening to recently, he was interviewing the CEO of Home Depot, mm. whose name I don't remember, but he was talking about the primary metaphor in their organization. Um, and Stanley's really liking it because he kept saying, like, it's another way of doing servant leadership. And I think at one point he said it's even a better way of explaining servant leadership, which I was like, ruh row. I don't know if I would <laughs> yeah. say that. But, but he talks about an inverted pyramid and how he understands himself as the CEO um, as at the bottom. Mm-hmm. And then, but in a pyramid, the most important people are at the top. And mm-hmm. so it's the, the CEO at the very bottom, the the associates, the workers in mm-hmm. the middle, and then the people that the pyramid exists for, the most important people are the customers, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And I was thinking like, and he was talking about the difficulty of being the leader of that organization, of recognizing that he has primary access to the people who, who he employs, mm. but he's trying to get through them to create an experience for the customers, right? And I was just thinking, it, it and just the challenges of that, right? And um, I was just thinking, like, that's a really helpful, and, and that would be a helpful image to have in the hearts and minds of people in the Grove, just to keep playing with that idea of, like, who does the church exist for? Does it exist for us or does it exist for outsiders? And of course, both, but we who are insiders need to understand that our purpose is to welcome people in and our purpose is to serve as the Lord served. And yeah. so to really understand that that's not even a matter of like being a martyr or like, oh, not, you know, mm-hmm. but to say like, this is what we were made for when we're made in the image of God that we mm-hmm. discover our delight and our belovedness and mm-hmm. in serving other people. And so I, I just have been thinking about that a lot and, and, I don't think that my community is really a consumer-based church, but I mean, just the natural pull of any congregation is is inward, right? Mm-hmm, and even mm-hmm. you know, even in a community that really talks a lot about inviting and welcoming, we we just think about loving and serving each other. And as I started with, like, I'll be astonished enough with that. Yeah. But still, just recognizing there's this whole other level when I can get people and myself too thinking about, you know, who do I know and love already that I want to find mm-hmm, a particular mm-hmm. way to to serve and to love and to make you know, the love of God embodied in their life. But then how can we get that next level out and say, who, who doesn't belong or who doesn't know that they belong or who doesn't know that they're beloved Mm -hmm. or who doesn't know that God is this good. And then how can I not just be like, good luck with that Holy spirit. I'm ready to welcome them when they show up. But like, how can I go Mm. to where they are and, and, love them unconditionally, not even trying to get them into church, right? Yeah. But just saying, yeah. no matter that that loving another person can't ever be a waste of time. Mm. And so just, just to be able to do that and get the church to think beyond itself, right? And, and not in a necessarily like, oh, I want to grow the church way, but just in a like, this is what I exist to do. Mm. I exist to serve because because I'm made in the image of, of Jesus, because I've been called to love one another as Christ loved me. And the one another isn't just the people around the table. It's the people who don't yet belong, right? Because the disciples yeah. didn't belong to yeah. Jesus when he began loving them. So anyway, that's what I've been thinking about is how to just, I don't know if it, I, I mean, servant leadership, I do take 
Andy Stanley's point that servant leadership is something we talk about so often that it can kind of just become this buzzword and people can't really understand what it means. And so in that sense, like the new way of talking about what, you know, what servant leadership is, especially with that image. I was going to say in the first century, if you're talking about a servant, you're talking about a literal servant. Right. Right. And for us, that's so incongruent with how we think. Um, Right. Yeah. We need to, anyway, so that is what I've been thinking about. And I need to make the leap from just thinking about it to actually, um, talking about it until everyone is sick of hearing about it. Well, I was having a conversation with uh, Tom Bandy yesterday, and um, he said that uh, when it comes to evaluating um, things in your church, think two words, acceleration and impact. Acceleration is um, numerical growth, growth Mm -hmm. in budget, da-da-da-da, you know, those things, those tangible things we like to point to. Impact is less tangible. It's relationships. Right. It's personal spiritual well, it's that growth. stuff that's astonishing us yes. in the very beginning. Yes. Right. And they can't be, you know, and I think you we, need both. You need both. But we tend to focus on acceleration, right? We want the church to right. move forward and grow. Or perversely, we're in a community where we say there is no acceleration, but it's okay because there's lots of impact. But the yes. reality is you rarely have one without the other. That's right. So that's right. because if you're making an impact, there's going to be acceleration. And I was going to say and there are, for example, I'm saying to our elders, we are in a season of impact mm-hmm. and to expect, you know, people to knock down our door at this point, we're, we're, we're in a place of reintroducing ourselves to the right. neighborhood. And so it's all about lives we touch, people we serve, people we love, people who do not yet know Jesus in impacting their lives. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. And we've got to... Well, celebrate and rejoice because in that. that's embodying the gospel right. and if the gospel is true mm-hmm. then it's attractive and it i mean and it is mm-hmm. and it is mm-hmm. so um that's good so what are you preaching about this week we're already out of time oh wow well we're <laughs> continuing um our walk through john's prologue we're getting to john the baptist this sunday and um his being a witness so you've to made it light. all the way to verse five uh, yeah. <laughs> well yeah so we're on verse six in three weeks um, but what's what's really getting my attention um, is uh, this this idea of John witnessing to light. And as I was saying when we were uh, walking, right, who witnesses to light? If I'm giving you a tour of the church yeah. or my house, I turn on the light. I don't say, hey, look at the light. I ask you to look at the stuff in the room that the light shines on. But John is saying, no, let's talk about the light. Let me witness to the light um, because we're blind and we don't see and Um, Again, connecting to Psalm 126 and the power of the word, John is witnessing about the light to people who can't see. And in that witness, it causes people to see. Yeah. Well, and I would also say, I mean, like there's not a monolith condition of everyone who's showing up to John, right? I mean, so, so I think sometimes people have light, but they don't. They don't know what it is or where it came comes from or they're not emphasized. I mean, because we talked before on the walk about how like, you know, that image of like walking into a room and turning the lights on and like we don't witness to the light. We witness to whatever's in the room, right. or whatever mm-hmm. we put there. And that's just natural for us. And I don't I, I'm interested in this metaphor of like how how as believers often what we want to witness to is like what we've done or like, look, God is good because look at that ministry or God is good because right. hear that song or God is good because look at this, whatever. Instead of sort of saying like, no, our job is to point to that, which 
makes everything else manifest, right? Like that's yes. what, like the, if the ministry is impressive, it's not the ministry, it's the light that imbibes yes. the ministry yes. or the you know, shines through the ministry. If the sermon is impressive, it's not the preacher that's impressive. Right. It's the light that is, you know, pointed to in that moment. And I do think it's, and we talked before, it's about taking the people out of the center of the story Mm -hmm. and putting God in the center of the story so that when you're witnessing to the light and not like, oh, that's a good Pharisee over there or, oh, that's a bad Sadducee over Mm -hmm. there. But really, Mm -hmm. it's about the light. It's not about us at all. And that's a hard thing, especially as Americans, because we live in a culture that tells us again and again that we need to be at the center of our lives because it's a consumer culture, right? Mm. And so, well, and John um, ends that section by saying, "Those who see the light and become children of God see the light not because they willed themselves to see right. the light. Right? But there was it was the work of God. Work of God. Yeah, yeah. Well, I um, am going to be preaching that same passage mm-hmm. this week again, and I'm going to try to." wrap it up. Although even I probably will not finish the whole prologue. And so it's astonishing. Um, But I, I really want to talk about tabernacle. I want to talk about the word became flesh and dwelled among us. And I think, um, and it's going to be an interesting Sunday because of who will be there, like just the people who will come to worship on Sunday and then you know, because most people will be like, hey, Christmas Eve is Monday. I'm going to pick one of them. I'll pick Monday. <laughs> so it's just an interesting thought to think about who's going to be in the room I was on say, that the Sunday saints morning. at Dorada Church. Well, um, I mean, I'm... We love worship, so we'll be there those days. <laughs> I mean, but I just... That, that idea of playing with what tabernacle was originally in the Exodus story, that the tabernacle was this particular place where God was and that all kinds of care and approach had to be taken so that, you know, what was holy wasn't destructive to Mm -hmm. us because of our creatureliness, our fallenness. And um, just thinking about the idea that when, when Christ comes down to dwell with us, to tabernacle with us, the holy becomes tender towards us. I mean, the holy sort of divests itself of its holiness mm. because God's priority was to to be with us, to mm-hmm. love mm-hmm. us, even mm-hmm. at the cost of humiliation mm-hmm. and weakness. Mm-hmm. And I this past week, I, I tried to say, and I don't think I said very well, so I'm going to try it again, that there's a moment in Worship at the Grove that is just really meaningful to everyone. And that's when the during the children's sermon, and I people always talk about how much they love that moment, and it's not because of anything I say. It's literally because of these particular children that are at the Grove, and there's there's many of them, which is a miracle because mm. you know when I came to the Grove, you know there were two families with kids, and one was mine. Right? <laughs> so you know to have on a Sunday, you know twenty, twenty five, thirty kids come mm-hmm. up front and mm-hmm. know that there are more downstairs in the nursery. I mean, like it's mm-hmm. just cra- it's crazy. Yeah. Um, and just the to behold the beauty of um, just all the people who are included, like all all the different races of kids, and the, it's just an amazing thing. And the congregation looks at these kids with such love mm. and such tenderness. And I I wish I could get the adults in the congregation to understand that even though they are grown. God looks at them with that same kind of delight and tenderness, right? Like, and I just feel like we, we sort of in, in an, in an unhealthy way 
fetishize children as if mm-hmm. children are worth more because they might still be able to quote do something or be saved or wow. avoid whatever yeah. and mm-hmm. and we you know you see it like how many ministries or not for profits are focused around children because mm-hmm. we feel like well they still have you know the potential right, to be right. worth yeah. it yeah. worth the investment yeah. or worth yeah. whatever and and in the church we ought to be able to understand that yes we love children but not because they have inherently more worth than adults right and not yeah, because they have a potential that adults don't have right and mm-hmm. so i want but like i think the revelation of the christmas story is the way you look at a child um is the way God looks at you. Yeah, that's I mean, good. I suppose, yeah. caveat, if you look at a child with love. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> <laughs> if not, this isn't for you. Um, so anyway, that that's, and that's what I think, that the tabernacle was transformed from something dangerous and something that needed to be approached with only extreme care and only if you were a priest or only if you were Moses or only if you, that that idea that Jesus comes down and tabernacles will, tabernacles with us the tabernacle becomes tender Mm -hmm. and approachable and uh you know wanting Mm. us so that is what i'm thinking about but it's only tuesday (laughs) so (laughs) who knows where where i'll be on sunday but yeah all right we're done i guess that's it all right